Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again in another episode covering the Gospel of Matthew. This week, we will look at chapter 9, beginning at the 18th verse. We're going to look at a girl restored to life and a woman healed. And depending on time, we will look at Jesus healing two blind men. Uh, We're close to the end of chapter 9. There should probably be this week and next week that we can... Uh, work through it, but we got a couple topics towards the end here, the um, healing of the man unable to speak, and the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Those will be some kind of bulky text, so we'll try to split this into two weeks and then get through chapter 9 and then move on to uh, chapter 10. And as always, we are you know, kind of pushing the commercials, if you would, to the end of the show uh, after the uh, the music ends, and I find that might be the most appropriate manner to handle, you know, those quote-unquote commercials, logos, and patron. Uh, but I do want to say before we get into the show that what I don't mention in there is the exclusive podcast that we're doing, and that's on Genesis. So if you're curious on how Genesis is broken down, and we're doing a long, deep-dive study into Genesis, it is... Uh, just today I just recorded verses one through three of chapter one. So we have a long ways to go and it's a pretty in-depth and extensive, uh, walkthrough. So if you're curious, check out the show notes, message me and, uh, come join us on Patreon. So chapter nine in the gospel of Matthew, we've been in Matthew for quite a long time and I'm enjoying a lot of it. Um, my goal is sometime around June to do a short series on Tuesdays on parenting uh, and more or less parenting on today's world and the chaos that we find ourselves in. How can parents remain biblical while still being involved in the world? And I'm not saying that you are going to go hand in hand with the world and do all that stuff. No, that's not what I'm going to advocate for, but it's you have to be present in the world. You have to go to work. You have to do these things. And, uh, and that's in order to live and 
survive. I mean, you can go live off the grid if you choose to. I mean, that's a complete, up, you know, up to you. But most people aren't capable of doing that. So how can you cope as a Christian in the chaotic, demonic world that we live in? So I'm going to work on that. Uh, I hope to have it ready by June. We'll see what time gives us. But uh, it won't be too long, but it'll be, you know, parenting and, um, you know, a little bit of marriage discipleship, if you would. Uh, some advice that I've kind of gathered over the years of being married. We'll be celebrating 16 years uh, this August. So uh, I got a couple of years of experience under my belt and uh, I've got some little bit of wisdom to share. So I hope that uh, you guys will enjoy that series. So that's coming in June. That'll be made available publicly. So it will not be exclusive to patron. So let's get into the text that we have at hand. Um, chapter 9 beginning with the 18th verse. This is what Matthew records. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowds making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And when the crowd... And when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out through all that district. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful text. Uh, Absolutely fascinating because uh, we see the mercy and the love and compassion of Christ just demonstrated brilliantly in these uh, eight verses here. So, uh, you know, I keep saying it during our Bible study, and... Um, I, I really think that just the gospel accounts of the life of Christ are just remarkable. And and I and it's hard for me to pin like, oh, I like this verse. This would be like my favorite verse. I don't think you can do that. Um, I, you know, I, I, I all of scripture has such a powerful impact on my life. Uh, so, it, it, you know, like, but this text here really just stands out as something special there's other texts, you know, like we talked about last week with fasting. That's more of a practical text. It's not showing people being raised from the dead or anything like that, but it's a practical text and it's helpful to understand that. But this text really speaks to the mercy and compassion that Christ has for his creation. And we talked about it just a few weeks ago that he, uh, let's go back and look at that text really quick here when he's talking to uh, the scribes, uh, when he calls Matthew. He says, this was actually last week's text. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's just, to me, that is the beautiful nature of uh, of, of how uh, Christ operates in the grander scope of all of this. So uh, let us uh, dig into the text here at hand and... Uh, we will see exactly what is going on. So uh, the ruler is uh, pointing us uh, to a note here to Luke. So Luke kind of picks up the pace uh, and talking a little bit more about it. He's the ruler of a synagogue, uh, the layman responsible for the local house of worship. Falling at his feet, 
uh, is an act of humility and respect. This posture also reflects his desperation. And so it's important for us to know it's not just a Roman ruler uh, who is coming down to see Jesus, but a ruler of a local temple uh, that... uh, we have uh, coming to see Jesus. And Mark tells us a little bit more here. Let's look at Mark chapter 5, verse 23. And this is what it says, And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. So laying your hands, Jesus had healed with a touch before, as pointed back into earlier counts in Mark, and uh, would several other times. And this is mentioned in Matthew fourteen thirty-six, Luke five thirteen. That said, Jesus was perfectly capable of effecting cures simply by saying the word, uh, as noted in um, Matthew 8.13, which we just talked about, and Mark 7.29. So, laying his hand upon her gives her life. And really, before we get into the woman of discharge here, really this this little girl uh, who will be made whole will be alive at the end of this text, uh, it really demonstrates the the power that Christ has over death, that it is not the end for us. And these are great examples of the resurrection that we get to partake in. This is just a beautiful demonstration of what Christ has in store for his people. So I'm very uh, I'm just I'm overly excited about it and I'm very thankful that Christ has given us this promise because we see it so perfect in these verses here of what will happen when Christ comes back, returns and shatters those skies open, sends his angels into the four corners of the world and he will uh, resurrect those who are dead in the flesh, those who are dead uh, bodily and then those who are currently alive will be raised up with Christ. And so you will be given the resurrected body, this brand new vessel that has never known sin, illness, sickness, death, nothing. No aches, no pains. In fact, I got a kind of a neck crank right now going on. And so uh, my my left shoulder and my, my left side of my neck is all like uh, tight and painful. Uh, none of that. That's None of that will be there. And uh, we see these things. Uh, really kind of foreshadowed, if you would, uh, in this girl here. Uh, And we'll see it again in Lazarus and uh, a couple other instances of just the power that Christ has over illnesses and death. And we see that continuously demonstrated here just by this woman touching the fringe of his garment. So the discharge of blood, um, Mark picks the story up in verse 25, uh, that uh, it's likely... A, a uterine hemorrhage, so it's a continual discharging of blood for this woman uh, for 12 years. She's having this experience, and she sees Christ, and she thinks to herself, if I just touch his garment, I can be made well. And that, to me, uh, is astonishing faith. And it's not faith that she's thinking that she's going to be saved or she'll receive salvation or anything of that sort. But she has such a faith that if all she does is just touch the fringe of his garment, he will save her. He will will heal her. He will cure her. And so we see how faith is being demonstrated. She has obviously heard him preach 
and she has witnessed him healing people. And so she thinks that he will do the same thing for her. And so her faith is greatly demonstrated here. And Jesus even makes a point to that. Your faith has made you well. So due to her gender and affliction, the woman was probably ashamed to even speak to Jesus directly, but inwardly expresses great faith at his healing power. So she, you know, unfortunately in society in these times, women were not considered to be on equal with the men. However, Jesus often makes a note to speak to women and minister to them and in this case, heal them. In fact, this text here talks about two women, a young girl and an older woman who are healed by Christ. And so he breaks those societal norms and demonstrates how equal men and women truly are in the eyes of God. We're both created beings with the image of God implanted on us. He says, take heart, daughter, the affection and encouragement. Your faith has made you well. This is a repeated emphasis going back to 8.2 and 8.10, as well as 9.2 and 9.29. Uh, We'll see that in the next um, section we'll talk about today. Only the disciples showed little faith as 8.26 points us back to. And it's always funny, right, when you have uh, a text these people who have only heard a little bit about Jesus and a little bit about, um, you know, his healing and, and their, their faith is just washed over them. I mean, it's like a waterfall and uh, they're drenched in it. It's just a crazy analogy that I'm using, but uh, they have such great faith that they get what they're, they're looking for. And then some Jesus heals them and then forgives them of their sin. Uh, the paralytic who gets lower down from the roof is a great example his friends had this great faith to take their, you know, paralyzed friend to Jesus. And Jesus tells the, the man to, that his sins are forgiven. And then the scribes go into an uproar. And then Jesus says, well, what's easier for me to forgive his sins or to tell him to rise and take his bed? And so uh, we, we see these demonstrations of great faith. But his disciples only ever show little faith. And I, and I think there's a good reason uh, why the disciples really kind of struggled. And maybe it's not you know, the fault of them, but maybe it's a strengthening aspect to them. So like, let's take it for instance, Jesus is the one who gives faith. The Holy Spirit gives faith uh, to those who hear his word preached. That's what Paul writes in Romans 10 uh, verses 10 through 17. Faith comes by hearing the word preached. But as Jesus is preaching, his disciples uh, are, are, for a lack of a better word, struggling because they have to have a a foundation of faith that's beyond the common saving faith. These 12 men would go into the world and and, and experience persecution and hardship. And I, you know, I just preached a text on it Sunday on the Beatitudes in Matthew five. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at that text about being persecuted Uh, Jesus talks here in Matthew 10 about sending the 12 disciples. You are going out as sheep into the world full of wolves. You will be persecuted. You will be hated. You will be killed for my name. And so I think it is a little bit of a growing process for them because I feel just by reading scripture, they have to have a level of faith that 
exceeds the common person's faith. And, and I think you, you see that can be demonstrated, right? Pastors and missionaries, uh, you know, good sound biblical pastors and good sound biblical minister, uh, missionaries, they have a level of faith that exceeds the common parishioner. Not to say that the common parishioner isn't saved, but the pastor who has endured a life of ministry has a level of faith that most people won't achieve in their life. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that they're, they were given this role for a reason and God pours out upon them faith, love, and compassion. And he pours out faith, love, and compassion onto the lay person, but in different functions and methods to, for them to live their lives, to raise their families and to, uh, you know, continuously hear the gospel preached and rest in the promises of Christ. That's just my two cents. You could take it or leave it as you will, but I think it hopefully might provide a little bit of an explanation of why we see that, uh, especially back in 826, his disciples only ever show little faith. But I certainly believe that after the resurrction, even doubting Thomas uh, is finally like, oh my goodness, everything is true. It's all boom right in front of me. I'm touching you know, my, my, my risen savior who was dead just a few days ago. So interesting, um, kind of breakdown of the text. So he heals this woman and, uh, it's kind of just a very short interaction. And, uh, he just says, your, your faith has made you well, you have demonstrated outstanding faith and instantly the woman is made well. And so now he goes on to the ruler's house to this little girl. Uh, the flute players, interesting, uh, even poor families would hire two flute players and a willing woman to express grief when a loved one died. So this is a, uh, a statement of grief, a statement of sorrow. These flute players and these crowds are, are mourning over this little girl. We don't know how old she is. Uh, she could be a young woman. She could be... Uh, you know, pre, a pre-teenager. She could have been 8 or 9, 10, 12 years old. She could have been 13 or 14. We're not really given an age, which is not a big deal, but we know that this girl is, you know, under the care of her father, so she hasn't been married away. Uh, and so we would venture to say she's rather young, and uh, she's dead in this text. Uh, there's no way to beat around it, considering that uh, the ruler has hired flute players, and people have come to mourn this little girl. And so Jesus makes this kind of unusual statement. He says that she's not dead, but she is sleeping. Uh, Mark 5.39 says this, And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. The girl had, in fact, died. But Jesus was about to awaken her as easily as from a natural sleep. Because the Lord's mastery over death and the resurrection promise, the New Testament repeatedly speaks of death in terms of sleeping. Matthew 27, 52, John 11, 11, and 13, Acts 7, 60, and 13, 36, 1 Corinthians 11, 30, 15, 6, 18, 20, 51, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 15. So uh, throughout the New Testament, no numerous verses just given that uh, death is equated to sleeping and it's kind of funny you know back in the day when i would listen to secular rap music there was a song and i forget the artist but uh 
he made a, a, a comment about sleeping being the cousin of death. And I thought about that. And I still think about that to this day because when you lay down to sleep, you, you, you dream. And you have no control really over those dreams and you have no ability to uh, do anything unless your body awakens you. You are essentially helpless. And so you, you really are at the mercy of your mind, but when you die, you're at the mercy of Christ. And so uh, sleeping is equated to, uh, to death and death to sleeping because in the resurrection, uh, you will be forever awakened. You'll have eternal life. You'll no longer need to sleep. Your body won't run out of energy. You will not have any of these problems. And that's the beautiful, beautiful promise that we get to experience uh, in the resurrection. So this girl's not sleeping, or not dead, but she's sleeping, and the crowds laugh. The crowd, uh, including the professional mourners, ridiculed Jesus. This is not an uncommon uh, instance that Jesus has to face. He will often face criticism from the crowds, especially when he we get close to his uh, trial and, resu- and uh, crucifixion. So in 925, uh, he is uh, puts the crowd outside. He goes in and takes her by the hand, and the girl arose. This is, again, another touch of Jesus that heals and has the power to raise the dead. And the district in reference is all around the Sea of Galilee. So these miracles benefit a woman and a girl. Generally, girls were not highly prized by families. Among the pagans, infant daughters were more likely than their brothers to be abandoned after birth. But Jesus does not see the woman and girls this way. And that is a pointing to as well in Luke chapter 8, verses 2 through 3. So go read that. In his sight, all alike have sinned and all alike are justified by his grace. Romans 3. 23-24. So let's look at these blind men, these next couple of verses, uh, and we'll see what we get from there. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind man came to him, and uh, Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. It's a very similar situation uh, in terms of the power that Jesus demonstrates here. But uh, he he's traveling now, or a little bit, and because uh, uh, the text opens and he's passed on from there. Uh, these two blind men are following him. They follow Jesus after they, he had left the ruler's house. So connecting a point, the have mercy on us is a common prayer uh, of help based upon Psalm 51.1. And this is what the psalmist writes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Uh, the son of David is a great uh, connecting point back to the uh, genealogy of Jesus demonstrating that this is the Messiah, the one who was promised to rule over the throne of David. It's a well-known title for Christ, the son of David. And so it's not a an insult or anything like that. It is another uh, authoritative title asserted to Christ. And so he enters the house, and this could be possibly where Jesus lived, 
Uh, they came to him. They followed Jesus into this house, and they ask him this question. And Jesus, you know, so, a, asks them the question: Do you believe? Do you believe that I am able to do this? His question brings about the importance of faith. Here's here's my beef with uh, the the Protestant movement in the West. They cannot picture it to be this simple. And by this simple, I mean they they think that belief is one thing, but then you have to do something else in order to be saved, or you must uh, demonstrate to the people that you are saved. They cannot just hang on the notion that over and over in Scripture, it is simple belief, simple faith that gives these people salvation. Jesus makes that boldly clear right here. Do you believe... That I'm able to do this. And when they reply, yes, Lord, then he touches their eyes. And according to your faith, because you said you believe I can do this, I'm going to do it for you. Now, imagine if they said, I don't know, Lord, I'm a little skittish. I, I, re- I really don't understand. I mean, it's a possibility that Jesus may not have healed them. But thankfully, he has mercy. And that is this wonderful promise of this text. And he shows his mercy and his compassion to these people. And he shows that it is just simple faith that can heal somebody. So these two blind men receive uh, their healing according to their faith. We see that uh, similar word spoken to the centurion all the way back in 813 uh, and the Canaanite woman that we'll see in 1528. And then Jesus orders them, do not uh, tell anybody. See See that nobody knows about this. Jesus did not want too much publicity because many Jews misunderstood his messianic mission. And so he's trying to assert secrecy in these healing instances. And yet oftentimes we find that these people who received these healings and these blessings went away and talk about that. And that's really how faith spreads. It's how the gospel spreads. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Look what he has done to me. And so these men go off and do that. And we'll see that demonstrated too with those who have been uh, had demons cast out. They go on and spread the fame of Christ into all of the area. So Jesus's answers, uh, Jesus answers the blind man's cry for mercy by restoring their sight. He urges the Pharisees to acquire the same virtue uh, going back to chapter nine, verse 13 and forward into chapter 12 verse seven. In the old Testament, God describes himself as a merciful and gracious uh, it's Exodus 34, 6. And when his son demonstrates the same divine attribute, we are truly blessed to receive God's mercy. That is the premise to this whole text. These two, these two pieces. That God demonstrates mercy and he is gracious to us. He continuously comes to us and gives us these promises of faith, salvation, eternal life, and all that. And it, all it takes is us to believe. Do you believe these things? And we can tack on works and we can tack on behaviors and we can tack on obedience and all that stuff, but it doesn't work. None of that stuff will earn you salvation. It'll just make you do great works for the kingdom of God. Salvation comes by faith alone. And I know that the Roman Catholics don't like hearing alone, but it is just that. It is just faith that saves a person. It is faith that justifies a person. 
So if it is just faith, then it is the only thing that can possibly justify a person. That's faith, belief. If it was faith and maybe a couple good works, then they would have to list them. But that never does. Paul gives us a lot of text on law and, you know, current behaviors of the Christian life. But, you know, as, as I'll expand in my book, there will be the ability to read that in the concept of law gospel distinction. How can we read texts like first Corinthians and Romans and uh, Galatians and all these and Ephesians and, and understand uh, the concept of faith coming out of, you know, out of the law and the law revealing us and preparing us for Christ. And we will look at it through the eyes of the law gospel distinction. So that's going to be that we're going to wrap the show just a little early today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've covered a little bit of text, didn't get a whole lot, I think, but I think we did all right today, considering that we have, um, we went through 12, 13 verses, so that's a pretty solid move. Next week, we will uh, look at the last two portions of chapter nine, and then we'll get into chapter 10, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit again, more about persecution and fear and, uh, not peace, but a sword and all that stuff. So we'll, uh, properly decipher all that out as we go along. So faith alone saves faith alone justifies. Do you believe this? That is what I leave you with ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have a great week. It is Friday. Get into church on Sunday and receive the Lord's supper commune at God's table with millions of Christians around the world. God bless. Have a great week. guys thanks for tuning into this episode of undying light if you did enjoy this episode then consider joining us on patreon for as little as a dollar a month that means one dollar per month will get you access to everything that we do behind the scenes that includes early releases podcast episodes bonus episodes that will never be released to the public teaching videos bible studies sermon notes, and anything else that may arise during the time, as well as early access to my book. That also entails that if you are a patron, when I complete the book, you will get a free copy of that said book. So that is just a few of the things that we do here at Undying Light, and we would greatly appreciate if you come and join this community. You'd have access to our chat groups on Instagram and our Discord channel where we keep everybody up to date and have wonderful conversations spanning the plethora of information. So $1 a month gets you full access to all of that. You can buy a whole year up front and get access for just about $10 and change, and that gives you 12 months uninterrupted access to Undying Light. The other promo I would like to share with you is Logos.com. You can get yourself a copy of this wonderful Bible software. You can download it free and uh, go in and just choose and purchase the books that you want, uh, whether you want a study Bible or just a couple commentaries. But the 
app itself is a wonderful program and allows me to quickly move through content without holding me up. I can search and find all of the available resources in my library that talk about whatever topic that I'm covering and I can draw from it and I can read through it and I can have all of it right in front of me. In fact, as I'm recording this, I have my study Bible open with my ESV Bible open and generally I'll have the Book of Concord open and probably some of Luther's lectures or his uh, commentaries or anything else that he may have written, maybe even sermon notes, things like that up on the screen. Those tools are wonderful in helping you study. On top of all that, this is not an app just for theologians and pastors, but it can be used for anybody and everybody at any walk in their life. Wherever you are in your walk with Christ, this app can help benefit you. So logos.com forward slash undying light. You'll get yourself some discounts on packages where it will come designed to your specific denominational view. If you're Lutheran, you can get the Lutheran package. If you're Baptist or Reformed or Calvinist or Anglican or Catholic, or Jewish, you can get all of those packages at a discounted rate through that link. So you can find all that information in the show notes, as well as anything that pertains to fitness and health, as that is another mantra to my life. And if you have any questions on that, feel free to DM me. So thanks again, guys. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.